Welcome to Here for Her Health, where we're building a better, healthier every day for women. Brought to you by Organon. Welcome back to Here for Her Health, a podcast series sponsored by Organon with the goal of creating a better and healthier every day for every woman. I'm your host, Wendy Lund, and today I'm incredibly excited to be speaking with Sabrina Martucci Johnson. Sabrina is president and CEO of Dare Bioscience, which is completely dedicated to solving unmet health needs of women. How they're going about that is really interesting, but no spoilers. Sabrina has headed the company since its inception and following its business combination with Cerulean Pharma in July 2017, when the company was renamed Dare Bioscience. Her entire career has been in the health field, and I'm looking forward to hearing her views on where the industry is headed and how we can better address healthcare for women. So Sabrina, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here today. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. I need to tell our listeners because we have like the absolute unicorn with us today a female CEO, a fierce female CEO of a life sciences company. And I mean, I've heard your journey and I loved your journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and why you were so passionate about women's health? Oh my gosh. So first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast and for saying such kind things about me and what I'm doing. And I wish I wasn't a unicorn, by the way. I wish there were thousands of me doing the work that we're trying to do in women's health. And specifically for my journey, I started Dare and really started this company that's focused solely and squarely on women's health, frankly, because I felt like industry could do better than we had been doing. There was just a lack of funding in women's health research and innovation in the category, despite the fact that we're half the population and and a lot of the healthcare changes that we experience as women are simply part of the process of being a woman. And it really felt that it was discouraging that we weren't doing better for her. So that was really why I started Dare. And in terms of my journey, my background is all healthcare. I've worked professionally in this industry straight out of graduate school. I'm a biochemical engineer. I started in research and pretty quickly realized that I liked being in the industry, but wanted to be more on the business side and transitioned and got my MBA and And eventually went to sales and marketing and specialty products and eventually finance and operations. And ultimately, one day, I I just woke up and thought, my goodness, I've been in this industry professionally my entire career, but hadn't really ever gotten an opportunity to work very squarely in women's health. The last two products that I worked on before founding Dare, one was in rheumatoid arthritis, which is primarily women, and one was in fibromyalgia which is primarily women. And those were the first opportunities I had to really make a difference in the life of women specifically. And it just struck me one day that all my philanthropic work is around women's issues, women in STEM, women's reproductive health, women's safety, women's security, economic security. And I wanted to make a difference professionally the way I was personally, and thus started Dare. Sabrina, you just showed why you are a unicorn. So thank you for that answer. So I want to kind of pivot a little bit here. You know, from the beginning, we've been asking women to share their experiences on the views on the biggest unmet needs facing women's health today. And I'm really, really interested to hear a point of view on this because it's thrilling to sit here with someone who's leading a company that's so closely aligned with that. So 
tell us, like, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing women today? Yeah, thank you for asking that. And it is an interesting question for us because we're a little bit different in terms of how we picked our products and our portfolio than a lot of other development stage companies in that we really made the decision up front that we wanted to work in women's health. And then the next step was to decide what are the unmet needs we wanted to tackle, right? We got a nice blank slate with a lot of white space to work within. So we started with the unmet needs. And so as we looked across the issues that women face in terms of their needs, they tended to fall within four categories. There are a lot of unmet needs that we had to start somewhere. So we've started in four kind of high level therapeutic categories. So one of them is definitely contraception, also sexual health, vaginal health, and fertility. And as we looked across those categories, what struck us about all four of those big picture areas is that they were all areas where there's definitely a persistent unmet need (laughs) that we could define. But also importantly, there was enough proof of concept data that existed to give us an idea of how we could do better to address that need, right? How we could actually bring a product forward to market that could do better for that, whether it was an improved outcomes, improved convenience, or frankly, just by personalizing the drug delivery to her and her lifestyle, right? How do we treat that condition? How do we actually give her a product that she's going to use? So, you know, within the area of contraception, that's, it's a great one to talk about because it's an area where on the one hand, you can say, oh my goodness, the first pill has been around since the sixties. We can do better in terms of delivering products that women can incorporate into their lifestyle. So that might mean different dosing regimens. That might mean products without hormones. And so as we look at that category, just speaking specifically about our portfolio, we focused on non-hormonal, right? Would be great to have a once a month product that could work without hormones. Or how about an injection that she only has to take once or twice a year, right? Or how about an implant? Implants are amazing, but how about an implant that she can pause and resume without having it taken out every time? So as we looked at different therapeutic pillars, we tried to look within those on unmet needs. And vaginal health is another one where whether it's because of menopause, where there are a lot of vaginal changes, whether it's because of a treatment that she's on for something else, it's just a matter of delivering the drug in the right way for her. Yeah. And then sexual health. I mean, I can talk all day, by the way, about sexual health. Um, There's no product on the market today for female sexual arousal disorder, despite the fact that it's her version of erectile dysfunction and just as distressing and by most measures, just as prevalent. Yeah. And plays right back to the fact that women who go through menopause have so few options for so few of their symptoms, you know, so few of their many symptoms. So yes, we could definitely do a whole series on that, I think. As you were talking and really thinking about like these unmet needs and really caring about them, one of the things that I think is so intriguing about your company is your business model, right? It's built around collaboration, which is so definitively contemporary and modern in these days. And I have to imagine there are many people from patients to providers to payers who wonder why are companies so eager to partner and what's your perspective? I love that you recognize that because we are, we are built around collaboration. And I love to flip that question because sometimes we do get the question of, so why collaborate? Because we do on both ends on our model. And I'll talk about that. And I look at it and say, why not collaborate? Like if you're truly committed to a category and you're truly committed to getting the products to women as fast as possible in the best way possible, why not? Why not collaborate on the front end and really serve in the role that we believe Dari is serving in this ecosystem of women's health as a very important innovation accelerator, right? Take 
the best product candidates that are out there and help move them forward through development as focused and efficiently as you can. So why not partner with the best innovators in the world who have tackled these problems and come up with a solution but need some help to get it to the finish line? And to that point of getting it to the finish line, FDA approval is not the finish line. The finish line is access for women. It's getting the products to market efficiently, right? Getting them to the most women as fast as you possibly can, as broadly as you possibly can. And again, that's where collaboration can make a huge difference, right? It's very different what a small company can do. We can be very nimble and very scrappy in some places, but when it comes to commercialization, that's a perfect area for us to partner and work with organizations that really have a commitment to the space and know, right? Know how to bring a product to market for women. And we need that. We need that more than ever. And, you know, one other area that we share a common passion is improving access for patients, whether that's a new product to market faster or expanding distribution. And, you know, as you and I both know, and I think a lot of people listening to this know is that Access is that cornerstone to health equity, which is one of the most challenging issues that we face today. So understanding that health and gender equity are so important to you, can you share your thoughts on that and how you're factoring them into your business? Yeah, they're fundamental to our business because simply, frankly, uh, we're working in women's health, right? So just the sector in which we're working, those factors become even more critical and important in many ways than there are in other categories just because of the access and the equality issues around just working in women's health. So it's definitely first and foremost. And so as we look at products, candidates, and as we look at our collaborations, you know, we really have an eye towards what is the best solution? What's going to be easiest for her to use? Is it going to be relevant outside of the United States? Ideally, yes, particularly if it's a persistent unmet need globally for women. Who can help us get it to those women as efficiently as possible? And how can we ensure that we're doing all the work we can through advocacy and through our collaborations to make sure that women, regardless of where she lives or her socioeconomic status, that she has access to the product? And that really takes a concerted effort, right? That's not just the developer. That's not just the commercializer. That's the regulatory bodies, that's the payers, that's advocacy organization, in our case, that's women, really taking a stand and doing everything we can around the product to make sure that access is first and foremost considered. Yeah, it's amazing. And you also have other experience as well that we want to bring to the table here as as a scientist, right? So let's shift slightly to how female patients interact with HCPs and others to get the attention that they need. You and I have both been patients for many years. We've also been in this industry a long time. Being a CEO like yourself and a scientist, how does this change your experience and your perspective in the doctor's office and vice versa? And what change would you like to see to help create the change that patients really need to make a difference right now? I will say in this therapeutic category, specifically working in women's health, I think we have to do a lot of work to take the stigma away from women's health and the things that she is experiencing. The reason that women don't get the options that are available today, by the way, for menopause symptoms or because she doesn't understand to talk about it or she's ashamed to talk about it or she's afraid to talk about it. Same is true for female sexual arousal disorder, for a number of these conditions, even contraception. 
right? So because what can happen is that these are conversations that are not normalized, right? Like other healthcare issues, you would never feel embarrassed to go to a clinician and ask about a growth, right? Like a a mole or something, right? You would just think, oh, that's okay. As an industry and as a world, we used to be embarrassed to talk about erectile dysfunction. And now you can be watching whatever streaming thing you want to watch. And I guarantee you'll see a thousand ads for five different drugs for erectile dysfunction. Well, that's because we've normalized the discussion. And the same is true. Think about mental health, right? Where we are today versus where we were before Prozac, that's what we have to do in women's health, right? We have to make it okay for her to go to the clinician and feel totally comfortable talking about her anatomy, the fact that she's having changes, right? That those are important and that she shouldn't have to suffer through it. We would never expect someone with hearing loss from old age or, or, or cataracts to go without treatment, right? We would never say, oh, that's okay. That's just part of being geriatric, like get used to it. We would want to do better, right? But that's what we got to do for women. But it all starts with, we got to normalize the conversation. We got to remove the stigmas. We got to remove the taboos. And bottom line, everyone, women and their healthcare providers all have to tackle it. It's like, this is all healthcare. (laughs) It's all healthcare. It's all okay. We got to talk about it. Totally. It's all healthcare. That should be our slogan. Let's get t-shirts. Yes. So yes. this is one of those outrageous stats that I'm going to throw to you and you're going to come back at it with a vengeance. So in April, just in April, the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology reported that 3.7% of 223,000 trials registered on clinicaltrials.gov between October 2007 and March 2020, so very recently, focused on gynecology. Less than 4% when women represent 50% of the population. I can't even get over this. So this is a U.S. statistics, but we hear this anecdote all over the world. And, you know, the question is, where is the innovation? What do you think it's going to take to supercharge this so we can truly start raising the health of women? I always try to look for the silver lining. So first of all, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I try to write. So that's a terrible statistic, right? It's a terrible, terrible, terrible statistic. So how could there be any silver lining around that? But it is changing, right? It is changing. And it is going to take, it's going to take Organon, right? It's going to take Dare of the world, right? It's going to take this ecosystem. Innovation is happening. It's sprouting. It's happening. It's There's going to be more and more of it. And, and bottom line, people are starting to take notice, right? So just women have more of a voice than they have historically. And that is just hopefully going to continue to get better and better. And as an industry, it's going to take people having showing successes, right? It's going to take companies like Dare saying, look, we can make a difference. We can get drugs approved. Women want these drugs. They're going to utilize them, right? We can tackle some of these indications that have been underserved. We can destigmatize the conversations. And bottom line, it's also, this is an industry, right? It's called healthcare industry for a reason. It is an industry. It's a business. We do a lot of incredible social good. But in the end, we also have to demonstrate, right, that from a business perspective, it makes sense to invest in women's health. It makes sense. We're half the population. We have needs that can be addressed. And economically, it is viable, right? It is a commercially viable and economically viable business model. And that's going to take, it's the chicken and the egg, right? To show that you got to get products to market and show that they can be commercial successes. 
But part of it's education. By the way, we've already done that as an industry. There are several what I would consider blockbuster contraceptive brands, truly differentiated products that hit that $900 million, billion, even $500 million in revenue, right? We have done that as a sector, but we've just got to do more and more of it. So that's what's going to take. People are going to look back 10 years from now and go, oh, I wish I was awake 10 years ago because I should have made that investment <laughs> before everyone noticed. Well, all boats are going to rise with the tide, I think, on this one. And we're starting to see that movement, which is so exciting after being in this industry for so, so long. And one of the areas that you just talked about around stigma and taboo, I want to give you another bite at that apple here because, you know, your company is doing so much in that area. And those who listen to this podcast know that I'm like not afraid to wade into this area around health taboos. Some of them actually line up so well with your pipeline. So thank you. Thank you. And I know you're not afraid of them either. So one of the things no. I love about you. So, you know, let's go back to how you frame discussion around taboos. You know, what are your aspirations for removing stigma from our lives? You know, this is the holy grail, I think, for women's health. So we're going to put it, it to you and ask you, where do we go from here? I want to start simple. And I, and I actually wrote something and put it on my LinkedIn recently, just around the word vagina. Vagina saying it on your podcast, vagina, Okay. because, Say it. Uh, right? Because, no, because I literally, during the bio conference, was interviewed for a podcast. And at the end, the person doing the interview said, you know what, actually, we're not going to be able to use this. We can't, every one of our, most of our products in our portfolio are vaginally drug delivered. So it's really difficult or a vaginal condition. So it's really difficult to get through a conversation and not use the word vagina. And she couldn't run the podcast. And I thought, you know what, that's a problem right there right? That is, this is not a four letter word. It's human anatomy and we can't remove the stigma if we can't talk about it, right? So we have to be able to talk about it. We have to be able to have those conversations. We have to be able to use the right language and that's first and foremost. And if she can't talk about her vagina and she can't say it, it's going to be really hard for her to describe to a healthcare provider, the changes that are happening and the fact that she can't have intercourse because it's so painful because she's gone through menopause or for her breast cancer treatment. And that's not, you know, acceptable. Or that she has an arousal problem that she can't even discuss with her partner, not to mention her healthcare provider, because she's afraid of having this conversation, the stigma. So I think it starts with, we got to normalize it. We got to normalize the conversation. These are okay topics. There's no reason to be ashamed talking about them. It is healthcare. It is reproductive healthcare. And that is by definition healthcare. And until we have that conversation and everyone is having that conversation, it's going to be really easy to forget that this is healthcare, right? And to make it something that is taboo when it shouldn't be. So we love, we're tackling all, all the, you know, it's right. all healthy and we're tackling all, yeah, we're trying to tackle all those issues and have all those hard conversations because we need to, as an industry, we need to, as an industry and women, Frankly, anyone assigned female at birth, quite frankly, <laughs> right, is going to have these issues at some point. And so we have to do better. Yep. Very well said. So I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions now, which is around fast forwarding 10 years. What do you think will make the true difference in women's health? And where is Dare in that vision? Well, I hope we're front and center in the vision, right? I hope it's a big Zen diagram around Dare in the middle because this is what we're hoping to do. We're hoping to make a difference, right? We're hoping to bring as many products forward so they can get to market as possible. We'd love to tackle all the unmet needs in women's health. And we're really hopeful that from 10 years from now, frankly, I hope there's not just Dare. 
right? I hope there's numerous DRAs because as an industry, just like in other therapeutic areas, right? There's not just one oncology company. There's numerous, right? And that's how we really, really spice up innovation. And so I hope as we look 10 years down the road, there's numerous DRAs. I hope DRAs definitely recognize it's a leader along with Organon. But I hope there's numerous DRAs 10 years from now and that as an industry, we recognize the value of investing in women's health, right? The social impact and the economic value of investing in women's health. And that, you know, as an industry, there are lots of us doing it and that we've brought numerous products forward to market for women and that the conversation's normalized. I hope it's like, again, mental health post Prozac or erectile dysfunction post Viagra, right? That's, that's women's health 10 years from now, even better. Yeah, let's hope for that. Uh, I think we all need to work really hard to get there. So I just can't tell you how much I want to thank you for joining. I'm so thrilled and privileged to have you here. Before we wrap, is there anything else you think our audience should know and should be prioritizing when it comes to her health? First of all, thank you, by the way, for putting this together and doing this because it's so important and having these conversations no, in terms of what the audience should do, I would say first and foremost, talk about it, right? And women in the audience, but also men in the audience, right? Every man knows some woman, <laughs> most likely. And so, you know, really encourage the conversations. That's the conversation that needs to happen, to encourage her to speak up about her healthcare needs and to demand innovation. And if everyone does that, that's half the battle. That's a great way to leave us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sabrina. We really, really appreciate you took the time for this. Oh my gosh, thank you. Thanks again to Sabrina Johnson for being with us today. And thanks as well to all of you for listening. Please remember to leave a review if you're enjoying this show. I'm Wendy Lund, and thank you all for listening to Here for Her Health, where we're building a better and healthier every day for every woman. 